Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 55. And first, let me just say thank you for all of those who have been listening since the beginning. You have been listeners for one full year. And that is just amazing to me. As I've said before, two years ago, I knew I wanted to do a podcast. I listened to a lot of podcasts. I like the format. I have a home studio because I am a composer and an arranger and had a microphone that's not quite as good as the one I have now. But it seemed like that was something that I could do. And I do like to talk uh, about things I know, and I like to talk to other people. But it um, it wasn't until I decided the exact subject of what my first podcast would be until I took the steps to get it going. And, of course, that subject being, in case you're new, is it's all about pit musicians or those musicians who specialize in playing for theater productions. And we've allowed that to include operas and ballets. But typically we're talking about actual theater musicals and not, with few exceptions, not the the actors, not the performers that are on stage that most of the audience is looking at, but the ones that are off to the st- side, the ones that are um, mo- most often down below the stage, the ones that are providing the music, the live music. That is who we're talking about. And it seems very appropriate that this anniversary episode of the podcast should come one episode after having Paul Perfetti on as a guest, because he was my first designated uh, trumpetist to be on the podcast. Actually, I'm not positive if trumpetist is a word. I'm I'm never too sure about, about things like the flautist, flutist, trumpetist, so trumpet player, just to be safe. Um, you can feel free to, to correct me on any of that. Um, we have, we did have a, you know, we had Harlan who played brass and, and that included the trumpet. Um, but that completed our rounds. Now, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are people we haven't really talked to, like people who specialize in things like accordion. And, um, I mean, there are plenty of types of guests I would like on this show that we haven't talked to yet. And I'm going to work to try to get them on the show at some point. So, plenty of ideas going forward, and I'm going to talk more about the format in just a moment, but uh, we have covered all the major instruments, all the brass, all the reeds, all of like your guitar, bass, drums, rhythm section, plenty of keyboardists, plenty of conductors. It's, It's great that we were able to do that in one year, and it's so neat that we've had a year's worth of episodes. I mean, I have had, if I'm counting correctly, had 54 guests on this show and that doesn't count the ask the music director series that doesn't count like bonus episodes for the wizard of oz and also the cameo guests on episode 50 with brad and carrie so i never really imagined when i first thought about doing a podcast that i would have guests on first of all i didn't know how to do that without having them in the same studio the pandemic kind of presented the option of zoom and Skype and FaceTime, but then I had to figure out how do I get them on, you know, to sound decent 
and then to record them on a separate track. Well, <laughs> it's just part of the things that you figure out as, as they go. And if you ever want to get into podcasting, I will be happy to give you some suggestions. Just send me a message. You can find out all about the podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. And there's a contact form there. There's also a place that you can donate. Uh, just throw that out there. I don't have any sponsors. Um, I don't have a Patreon page at this point as this episode is being released. Uh, that may be something way down the road that I, that I would consider. But right now it's just that donate button and it just helps with operating expenses, which uh, have just been renewed for this year. So anything that you can donate will help offset that. Okay, if you can't tell by now, this is a bit of a loose format episode. <laughs> Uh, it is my first solo episode since episode one. So even counting all those bonus episodes, this is the first time where my voice is the only one you hear. I wanted to just go in, in kind of a loose format, talk a little bit about the podcast itself, and uh, then I'm going to give you my top 10 takeaways that I've kind of learned from the podcast over the past year. First thing I want to do is I want to give a couple of people some acknowledgement that I, that usually just happens on the script that I read for the closing credits. And just in case you're like a lot of people, like myself with other podcasts, and that you're kind of skipping ahead at that point to the next thing you want to do, or just, you know, hitting that 30-second uh, flash forward, um, I want to, while we're in the heart of the podcast, to just mention a couple people. So uh, the voice you hear before mine is Bill Cisna. And Bill Cisna is a local colleague who has done uh, a lot of professional uh, voiceover work. He is also a published author. Uh, he is a playwright. He has served on the board of directors for at least a couple of boards around here. And um, he he just really loves local theater. But he has this great voice. And uh, he, he has a home studio himself for, for recording uh, you know, some voiceovers and things like that. So, you know, I wanted somebody with a good voice to introduce the podcast that wasn't me. I, I've learned not to hate my voice uh, when I when I hear the playback on this. That's one thing if you do get into podcasting, you need to get used to <laughs> the sound of your own voice. But I'm just really thankful for Bill's contribution and uh, that I've been able to use it for every single episode. The second big thank you that I want to give that I normally am just brushing by is Mark Parolo. I've worked with him twice as a director. Uh, I, that is to say, I've worked twice where he was the director, not with me the director, in a local production of The Great Gatsby, which was a straight play. But uh, Mark had the vision of having a uh, the scene changes done by a jazz singer with a pianist brought on stage and uh, I was the pianist for that. But then also I got to music direct Man of La Mancha uh, back in 2019 with him directing. But besides being a director and besides being a long-standing executive director of uh, local theater in Winston-Salem, he also he was a teacher at North Carolina School of the Arts, and he excels in design. And I just asked random on Facebook if... Um, you know, if anybody would be able to design a podcast logo. And I knew what I wanted, but I didn't know how to do it. And I just described what I wanted when Mark uh, volunteered. And he 
he made a couple of suggestions and I, and I agreed with those suggestions that sounded good. And, and he said, it may take him a little bit of time. And, and that was fine. I had like a month, but he gave me the logo in like two days later at most. And, you know, asked me what kind of changes I needed and it didn't need any changes. <laughs> it is, uh, it is just a striking logo, uh, full of red and gold and, Honestly, I've been super proud about that design uh, since day one, and I'm just so thankful for his gift of that design that I can use on this podcast. And I would say if you're local to Winston-Salem, any time you have a chance to work with Mark Perolo, you you are working with a top professional. Now, you'll, you'll need to come to work, and you'll need to come to concentrate. It's not a playground with Mark Perolo. I don't think he'd mind me telling you that. Uh, but he's very fair, he's very kind, but he will get the absolute most out of what you have to offer and uh, make sure that you both agree on that before the performance comes around. So this makes one year. If if you're being kind of picky, well, you go to episode one, it says um, June 27th, and this is being released on June 25th, and so... Uh, yeah, I guess technically not quite one year, but I would say uh, 52 weeks, very close to it. And also, I will not be uh, presenting an episode next week, so I would not be able to cover it during that time. Yeah, and also, if we want to get really picky with the date, it says June 27th. I think we released it a little bit later, or I promoted it a little bit later. I, I'm not really sure. I did not know what I was doing when I released episode one. For Apple Podcasts, they have to approve your podcast before you can schedule it. They don't tell you when they'll have that process done. They just say, you should hear from them within two weeks. So so I did that way in advance, you know, just in case. And uh, they approved the podcast in about 12 hours. So, and I didn't realize this, uh, pending, as soon as it was approved, it was published. And... So it was published, you know, even though I'd been announcing a certain date, there it was. So um, at least after that, I've been able to have every episode come out on the the day that I thought. And, and by the way, I say the first episode, I, I did release the first three at once. Um, that was just something that someone had told me. It helps if you have at least three episodes out there to be seen. So, so many of you have listened to me throughout the world. And and some of you have come on as guests. You know, you've said, I enjoy your podcast. And also I have something to offer. And, you know, I live somewhere else. I live in Kansas. I live in Ireland. Uh, I live in I live in Nevada. Actually, that episode will be coming out later. <laughs> so it has meant a lot to be to hear from all of you that I've never met. And it's also meant a lot to just meet these guests so when I started off this podcast, and, uh, and you know, at least one person has, has brought this out in, in the form of a comment, in the form of a message to me, probably within the first even couple of dozen episodes, most of them are local colleagues. There's a few exceptions, and, and the few that are not local to me are ones that I knew already that, from previous times in my life. Um. It was only through word of mouth and through recommendations and people chiming in, uh, sending me messages, that I was able to meet these wonderful guests that I've gotten to know from other parts of the world that do theater in other parts of the country, other nations, 
people who have worked on Broadway, people who've done Broadway tours. So it is solely due to the listeners and the guests that this podcast has grown to be uh, very inclusive. So let's just talk a little bit about the podcast going forward. So before I can get into that, I, I just need to describe kind of the landscape of me and some of my colleagues. So theater is coming back. Now, as a recent guest, Jennifer Wharton, uh, recently posted on her social media, she posted this reminder. It's not coming back for everyone, not yet. There's still plenty of people in Broadway um, who had shows, and those shows still haven't announced that they're coming back. It's still a desperate time. So Broadway musicians need your support in any way that you can provide. There's so... That that's all I can say about that. Um, you'll hear uh, the news is good and that things are coming back, but it's not great because they're not all back and not everything has said that they're coming back yet. But with that said, most of the musicians I know are getting busier, including myself. So last night was opening night of a show in my area at Winston-Salem Theater Alliance. It's an outdoor production of a show called The Portable Pioneer and Prairie Show. And if you're like, I haven't heard of that one, <laughs> neither had anybody in the production. And in fact, uh, I don't think there's anything on YouTube. It is a rarely done show, but it was one that, you know, for uh, for times being what they are, low budgets, uh, limited audiences, and um, and so forth, it was one that we, that we could do. And, uh, and it's, and it's one that I think that we've had fun and it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun production. We have a live pit. I'm playing keyboard and, um, we have two past guests that are, that are in my pit. We have Ronald Ford playing the reeds, have Guy Kelpin playing the bass, uh, and my friend Sean Minish is playing the drums. So it's fun to do that. We're, we're outdoors, not because we still have to be outdoors in this state, but, uh, Winston-Salem Theater Alliance has um, just bought a new building, and uh, it's coming along, but it's still under construction. So their first main stage show indoors will not be until August, and that will be something rotten. That is what done with tracks. I am music directing that, but but because it's done with tracks, I will not. Uh, there will not be a pit orchestra for that, but that'll be my next show, and I've also got an arranging project, a composition that was commissioned. I'm going to be arranging music for a Christmas album, and that's due by sometime in the fall. And, uh, you know, just I'm getting some things going with the teaching side of things, so I'm getting really busy. The musicians are getting really busy, so it's getting kind of hard to tag them, tie them down. So I'm going to run through the options that I had thought about doing with this podcast that I decided not to do. The first one was call this the end of season one and take a big break and then come back later on with some more episodes for season two. I also thought about just saying this is the finale. This is uh, this is the end of the show. But first, I mean, I had a few more episodes to go, so so you wouldn't be hearing this now. I still have some interviews in the vault that I haven't released yet. Uh, so even without recording new guests, you know, I have to get those out. So that really wasn't an option. 
And it's not one that I wanted to do. I still have things to say with this podcast. I still have guests that I want on. And uh, the, the third option that I definitely knew that I could not do is to continue bringing you one episode every single week. Um, I won't bore you with the details, but because I don't want to just take the raw footage that I record and just put it out there. I know some podcasts do that. They're like, they're unapologetic. This is the real world. This is how it is. You hear every little, uh, every little like and so and cough. And I leave some of those in, but I take some of them out. I take a lot of them out of the ones that I do because I do quite a few. Um, I might leave that one in just for emphasis. What I'm trying to say is that for every minute that I've recorded, it probably takes three to four minutes on average to edit it. And just making time for that with all the other stuff I'm doing, um, it's become very stressful to do that for one week. Now, if this was like sponsored in such a way that it was part of my job or sponsored to the, to a level that I could hire assistance then that would definitely probably make a a difference. And, uh, but I don't think the show at this point in its life is at, at a stage where that is warranted. So I finally decided on this. We're going to keep life in the pit going. I'm going to make a pledge to you that I don't let a month go by without something, even if it's me coming on here doing a solo episode, but I'm going to shoot for every other week. So I'll go ahead and tell you the next episode that I bring to you will be on July 9th. So in two weeks. And, um, and that's a fun episode. So I can't wait to bring that with you, but, uh, it'll be, be a couple of weeks between each episode. I, I don't anticipate doing two weeks in a row, but again, I might. So I think the thing is, is I'll ask you to be flexible. I'm going to be flexible. And, uh, you know, just to have some consistency, I will, in all likelihood, continue to release these on Friday morning. So just check Friday, check your latest episodes, and, you know, just see if that has dropped there. Make sure you are really more important than ever. If you're not already, make sure that you've clicked follow wherever you subscribe to podcasts on Life in the Pit so that you are getting notified and then you do have a way of knowing if those episodes are there. And I will always post uh, on Instagram and Facebook for sure. Yeah, let's talk about that. On the script, you always hear me talking about Twitter. Someday I may go back to Twitter and I may catch up, but uh, I have such few followers there and almost no followers that are unique to Twitter that are not on the other formats that I haven't found it very helpful. Re- really, it's just that's me dropping the ball. <laughs> And I've dropped the ball so for so long, it's kind of hard to pick it back up. But I've been very consistent with Facebook and Instagram, and that's where I hear from almost all of you. Uh, not almost. That is where I hear from all of you. I've, I have never, no one has ever reached out to me about the podcast on Twitter. So uh, it's still there. It's a page. And, you know, I may get back to that at some point. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I'm kind of like that with my own Twitter. I, I might go a month without posting anything and then post three dozen tweets in a few days. So it's just kind of how that goes. <laughs> so that is the life in the pit going forward. Going to be erratic, not as many new episodes, but there are so many old episodes. I'm, I meant to actually tally up the hours before I got this started, but I know that it's well over 50, maybe possibly 
over 60 hours of content. And that's a lot of information of a, about a very specialized field. And of course, it's not all about pit musicians. We have, um, you know, we have our uh, Kenny Slaughter earlier this year talked about, you know, just general marketing, just kind of uh, general promoting yourself. Um, we had the executive director, Ingrid Keller, uh, the executive director of a symphony orchestra, just talking about what she does. So there's there's a lot of kind of outside perspectives, talked about people who compose, you know, and, and arrange and, and also program keyboards. So there's a lot of aspects to being in the pit that I feel like if you haven't already, you've got two and a half full days without sleep of stuff to listen to. And you can break that up into an hour a day and have two months of stuff to listen to. So uh, now's a good time to just catch up is what I would say. All right. So what I want to do for the, I guess, the rest of this podcast, I want to give you 10 takeaways that I have gotten from the guests that I've had on the show. And in many cases, all of these takeaways are things that I've heard more than once, sometimes many, many times, you know, it's like, uh, some of the first few that I'm going to talk about, I know that I've heard double digit times on this podcast. So if you're hearing it from a lot of different places, there's a good chance that it's sound advice because everybody I've had on on my show is either a very talented novice at what they're doing or an established professional. And, and that is the case with most of my guests. They are established professionals and they just have a lot to offer about what does it take to succeed in the pit. So I'm going to give you 10 things and they're in two categories. So the first five or what I would call with like getting yourself equipped to be a top-notch musician that can be a top pit musician or whatever you choose to do. And the first one, I, I don't even think I needed to listen to any podcast guests to know this, but it just goes without saying. Number one is learn your instrument well. You cannot be a mediocre performer and be in high demand from people who want to pay you money to be in a pit. You need to practice your instrument. If you're a student, you cannot neglect that. And then also, once you become a professional, and this is a big reminder for myself, you have to keep practicing your instrument. Now, once you start teaching, once you start performing, um, you probably don't have, you can't measure your practice time in hours anymore. You're probably measuring them in minutes. And that's okay, because as I tell my students, five minutes is better than no minutes. And, you know, I would really work on getting efficient with your practice, getting quality time in there. But you have to practice at a certain level to stay where you are, just to tread water. But you've got to practice enough, whatever that may be for you. And for some people, it could be 30, 45 minutes. But you've got to practice enough each day that you're at least making baby steps going forward and getting as proficient as you can on your instrument. Never let the quality of your play be the reason that you don't keep a job. And I'm not even talking about preparing your music, but I'm just talking about, although that kind of goes, that goes with it, but simply be good at your instrument. You don't have to be great. If you play, if you play violin, you don't have to be confused with Itzhak Perlman, but can you play all of the music that's on your show? Can you if you're going to 
possibly play Into the Woods, first violin part. Can you play all of those violin solos, even though most of that book is pretty boring from what I've heard, except for those really crazy solo places? Well, that's some things that you can do. If you're a pianist, can you play Jason Robert Brown? Can you play Leonard Bernstein? Uh, you might not be playing those shows right now, but maybe you'd like to. You'd like to be able to say yes to those shows. Go find yourself some books and learn to play at that level. So that's number one. Learn your instrument well enough that you can play well all of the books that you're asked to play. And you don't have to be the person who leaves things out. Um, I'll just go ahead and say this. I'm not calling out names, but I've had musicians before that would transpose parts down an octave. And maybe I didn't notice that until they had to have a sub who played it correctly. And, you know, when that happens, I'm just telling you as the music director, my thought is that sub played a lot better. That sub now gets first call on the next gig. And you just got demoted. And that's just business. I might hear someone and say, oh, I like their tone better. But there are factors that would keep me, that would keep my loyalty with the first person that I hired. There are a lot of factors. They have to at least be able to play what's on the page. They have to be, you know, good, good to the point to do that. So learn your instrument well. Number two, this is one that I, I wish that I had an assistant that could just go through the podcast and find every mention of a guest saying this, because I could probably do a five-minute montage. Get really good at sight reading. Uh, it was my guest, Tony Steve, that said he just takes about maybe 15 minutes a day and plays something new. There are so many things, there are so many places that you can get new stuff uh, you just, on, online. Um, but I'll just throw this out there. It's called imslp.org. Make sure you put .org because I think I put .com one time and that leads to a, a website you don't want to go to. Um, so it's I M as in Michael, slp.org. This is a, uh, it's like international music library of scores and parts. And I'm probably wrong on that, but it is any, almost any piece of music public domain for any instrument you can find there and just go download some PDFs and, uh, you know, find some music that's at the right level. You want to sight read, just sight read it every day. You know, just go through some stuff. I've got, someone gave me the library of piano music, eight volumes. I'm on volume four, going through every single page. Practice sight reading. Try to notice how can you get better at just spitting the music out and not thinking too hard about what you're playing. Maybe you need to work on your theory so you recognize your chords better. Sometimes that holds people back. Maybe your eyes are, are focusing too close on to the notes you're playing and not looking ahead. Or maybe you're just thinking too hard about it. You need to work on your sight reading because, I mean, just case in point, uh, I don't feel like I can say what the show is because I haven't signed a contract, but there is a Broadway tour coming to my area, and I am slated to be a sub for Keyboard 2. And it's a difficult book. I'll have two weeks before the first rehearsal when I get the music, when I get the book. The only way that I can be sure to know that in time is that I feel like I'm 50% there on my sight reading. So I'm able to sight read and have it be like I've gotten 50% of the work and then I can practice the rest. If you're not a good sight reader or something like that, you know, one time playing, you feel like you're only 10% there. 
you need to be able to sight read and feel like you're 50% there. And then sometimes you got to sight read for a show. If you're a sub, you know, it's nice if you can get that music in advance, but sometimes you can't. I've had to sight read a show as a music director. It was very stressful, but it's a, it was something that made me a better person at this level. So number two was get really good at sight reading. Number three, it was Heidi Dalek, uh, an accompanist who suggested this. Listen to a lot of styles. And I just kind of add to that, you know, dissect the styles. Don't just listen to styles, but, um, you know, what is a keyboardist especially, or what is a trumpet player, whatever your instrument is, how would you play your instrument in this style? What are the rhythmic things, the harmonic things, melodic things that make up this particular style, whether that's classical, jazz, hip-hop, rock, R&B, pop? You know, you, you need to be familiar with that. If you're the type of musician who pigeonholes themselves, like if you're, you know, for example, if you've been studying violin and, you know, all you know is the classical repertoire, well, you're doing a disservice by not learning how to fiddle, not uh, you, you need to learn how to do that. You need to learn um, some jazz licks. You need to learn some Celtic style. You need to be very diverse. And the best way to do that is just listen to that kind of music. Treat it treat it like homework. Treat it like study. You don't have to like become uh, a fan of all these genres. But, uh, but you might. But you need to take that time and, and do the listening. And... This sounds like, number four sounds like the same thing, but it's not. It's uh, learn to listen at all times. What I'm talking about there is when you're in the show, don't get so in love with the, with the paper, with the, with the sheet music that's in front of you that says, okay, I have eight measures of rest, and then I play the next thing. You need to be listening and realize the actors just skipped a verse or someone missed a line or there's a costume delay, and realize, uh, okay, I'm not out of this eight measures yet, or we just skipped past it and we're on to the next thing. It really helps if you can be the type of person that can understand music in context, understand your phrases, your four and eight bar phrases, your 16 measure sections. Not that that's always how music is put together, but you know that's just a case in point. Uh, when you're at a cadence, when you're starting a new section, when you're on the verse, when you're on the chorus... How's the music put together? Be very analytical in your listening. And the fifth thing, and last in this first category, is uh, take some time to practice improvising. So if you're a classical musician, you're taught the importance of playing exactly what's on the page, and that is exactly what you're doing with sight reading. But with improvising, it's do something that's not on the page, because music directors and sometimes directors will hand these instructions down to the music director themselves, ask you to do some things that are not on the book. And, uh, and maybe they might even say, hey, can you listen to a, re a recording of this and try to do what's on that recording rather than what they wrote down in the book? You want to be able to do that. You want to be able to, to if, it, if they give you, sometimes I play a book and it says piano solo. Be able to do a piano solo. Practice some improvisation techniques. So get off of your books when you're practicing and try being spontaneous. Okay, so those are the things. That's just you as a musician. Number six through ten, these are, these are takeaways for how to be the most hireable pit musician, how to, be, how to get the job, keep the job, 
this is you as a person. And the, the first one is to be prepared and open to opportunities. And to know that that's more important than having an all or nothing goal. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I believe with, without exception, every guest that I've had on this show, and, and forgive me if there is an exception, my memory is failing. Every guest to my memory on this show, none of them said that I knew I wanted to be a pit musician and nothing else when I was in middle school or even in high school. It's something that that happens. Here's what happens. They prepare to be a really good musician. They put themselves in situations where they're meeting people. They're demonstrating good work ethic, good personality. They prepare well. They do all the right things. And then somebody takes notice. And a lot of times, you don't even really know who that is. And you may decide to be a pit musician and find yourself recording for pop artists. Or you may find yourself drawn to teaching. You, there's, there's so many roads that you can go. Uh, I got into film scoring. And I still managed to score films, but I never thought about theater until 10 years after school. 10 years after grad school is when I did my first show. So be prepared for opportunities and be open to them. That's your best, that's your best road. Number seven, be the best coworker and colleague. We just talked about that in the last episode. You want to be the type of person who is prepared. And I'm gonna that's gonna be a special one for number eight. I'll just give you that in just a moment. But you want to be the type of person who, when the pit is too small, that's okay, I'll make do. You want to be the type of person that says, hey, um, we need you to use a stand light that's not so bright. You're accommodating. You, you need to be the person who, when a request is made, you either say yes or uh, I'll get that done. I'll figure out a way to, have that, to, to make that happen. That, that is the type of person that, as a music director, I want in the pit. It's the type of music director that I know that directors want in their show. So be, be that cooperative, open-minded coworker. The number eight, and this pretty is, this almost sounds like it should have gone in the first category of being a musician, but it's just prepare, prepare, prepare. If you're a good musician, you know, if you practice, it's knowing you're, you're knowing how to play your book. You're knowing how to play the music, but that doesn't mean that everybody who can prepares their book. Don't come to rehearsal saying, I haven't looked at the score. Don't go from rehearsal one to rehearsal two without it being different. If the music director has given you notes, such as cuts and vamps and things like that, write them down. Don't be asking questions that were answered in an email. I want to say that again. Do not be asking questions that were answered in an email. It's your job to read that email carefully and make those notes. Just leaving a pause there for dramatic effect. That is something that, as a music director, it really annoys me when people show that they don't read and they don't pay attention to what is going on. And I'm just saying, I'm very easygoing. Other directors get really ticked off at that. Be prepared as much as you can. And also being prepared, big part of that, 
be on time. And when and when I mean be on time, I mean like if you are a reed player, you have all of your instruments assembled, put together, they're on the rack, music out, you're warmed up, your reeds are all ready to go, and that is with at least a minute to spare before the rehearsal or the performance begins or your call time. You want to be the person who is who is prepared, that is always there. Number nine, distinguish yourself in the following ways. By having a respectful, easygoing nature and being someone who puts others at ease. As I heard every Broadway musician say, you have the job because you can play. That's why those first five steps are important. you got to be the musician who can play. But you don't have to be the best musician. If you are the best or among the best at putting others at ease, you're the type of person they want to be around because you have their interests in mind and not just your own. You're not a my way or the highway type of guy or, or gal. You are there to, to serve others and to, give, to make a good experience for others. And when you approach it with that attitude and you just, you know, smile every now and then, laugh, put others at ease, that makes all the difference. You'll be the type of person that as a music director I want to have around. And I have people in my pit just for that reason. Just because I need the stress relief that they bring. And the last thing, takeaway, is collaborate and network. It doesn't matter if it's theater music or not. If you play an instrument, get out there, play for weddings. Teach privately. Teach in schools. Write music or compose or arrange for other people. Volunteer for some theaters. Um, or take low pay, you know, as you're getting some experience, work with people. If you can do things that are not musical work, work with them in that way, whatever that is, you know, and you just never know. You never know what person is going to be someone who remembers your name and has a good opportunity for you. Or maybe they don't have an opportunity, but they know somebody who does. Uh, I mean, you never know. You know, you, you might be teaching a student someday and they're like, oh, uh, I'm, I used to be neighbors with uh, this Broadway music director. Or <laughs> I just throw that out there as an example. There are, so many, there are so many forks that come across your path and you don't recognize them as forks until you're looking at them in a rearview mirror. Just meet people, be cordial, be respectful, and you just never know. Well, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. This was actually not nearly as hard as it was episode one, just kind of talking to myself in front of a microphone. So again, I just want to thank you all for whether you're a new listener or whether you've been with me for a while. I'm very appreciative of your support and uh, thank you very much. And I will see you again in a couple of weeks for episode number 56. Here we go. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a special thanks to Mark Perillo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction of this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about the podcast, leave feedback, or leave a donation at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. 
please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and share with your friends. Thank you for listening.